Hello, and welcome to another edition of Interviewing the Legends, brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency, devoted to promoting musicians and authors worldwide. Call us today at 941-877-1552 to start your free publicity evaluation. Remember, we shine only when we make you shine. Please welcome the host of Interviewing the Legends, music journalist, author, and entrepreneur, Ray Shasho. Hello once again, everyone. I'm your host, Ray Shasho. Welcome to another edition of Interviewing the Legends on BBS Radio, brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency. Call us today at 941-877-1552 or email us at publicityworksagency.com. Remember, we shine only when we make you shine. And by the Rockstar Chronicles Series 1. That's my new book featuring over 45 intimate conversations with the greatest music legends the world will ever know. Available now at bookbaby.com and amazon.com. Alan Farst, founder of Niche Productions, is thrilled to announce the signing of a distribution deal with Gravitas Ventures, a Red Arrow Studios company, to release his latest film, Chuck Lavelle, The Tree Man, a sterling documentary on the rock and roll pianist keyboardist often described as the fifth Rolling Stone. And the film was released to serial several video on demand outlets on December 2020. Directed by Farce, Chuck Lavelle, The Tree Man provides an epic, in-depth look into Lavelle's life, uh, both on and off the stage. Lavelle has played and toured with the Rolling Stones since 1982, and his status of rock royalty may be equaled only by his stature within the world of environmental forestry, where he previously has been named the National Tree Farmer of the Year in the United States. It's this fascinating combination of passions coupled with more than 80 gripping interviews from legendary musicians with a combined 58 Grammy Awards that already has produced quite the buzz for the film. The documentary captivated crowds last year at both the Making Film Festival and Sedona International Film Fest, the latter of which recognized the film as the 2020 People's Choice Award. This is a must-see film for anyone who loves great music and great documentaries, says Patrick Schweiss, artistic director of the Sedona uh, International Film Fest. Director Alan Farst has managed to capture the life of one of the greatest keyboard legends, Chuck Lavelle, who has worked with all the greatest musicians. The Tree Man was a rousing hit at our festival with audience members cheering and raving about the film. The documentary is full of star power, including interviews with Billy Bob Thornton, Mick Jagger, President Jimmy Carter, Eric Clapton, Keith Richards, Bonnie Raitt, Dickie Betts, Paul Schaefer, Chris Robinson, Charlie Daniels, Miranda Lampert, Charlie Watts, Bruce Hornsby, Julian Lennon, Mike Mills, John Bell, Pat Monahan, Ronnie Wood, Warren Haynes, John Mayer, David Gilmore, and many, many more. Please welcome legendary keyboardist, singer, songwriter, tree farmer, Chuck Lavelle, to interviewing the legends. Hello, Chuck. Ray, what an intro! Well, uh, you're most kind, my friend. I really appreciate that. You deserve and, it. Uh, you deserve it, man. You've had a you've had a wonderful, wonderful life. Uh, I, I love it in your film how you say it's been a it's been a love affair, uh, meaning your wife, who you've been together now for wow, over what forty years or so, and that's the way, same way I feel about my wife. We've been together for about forty years, and uh, I know what you mean. I've been 48 for uh, my wife, Rose Lane, and I now, and we have truly been blessed. It was a wonderful partnership. We have tons of fun together. We laugh all the time, and, uh, you know, we've got two beautiful daughters that uh, have two grandchildren, two children each, so four grandchildren for us, and, uh, you know, uh, nothing better than that. That That's the best of life right there, man. I've got five grandchildren, and there's nothing better than, you know, babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> the great kids. Isn't that the truth? That's how I get my exercise. 
Bad old man chasing those things will wear you out. <laughs> I tell you, man, you're a natural behind the camera. You really are. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and it was really a joy working with my filmmaker, Alan Forrest, a talented, talented guy. You know, we had quite a lot of uh, raw footage, as you can imagine. He followed me around for about three and a half years. Wow. Um, several places across the world, and of course, including our home at Charlene uh, in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we had all this stuff, we had all these interviews with uh, people that I've been privileged and, and honored to work with, and uh, we had the interviews with people from the environmental world that uh, I also dabble in, and and then the story uh, of Roselaine and myself, and, and I said, how in the world are you going to stitch this thing together to make any sense out of it? And uh, Alan spent uh, like six weeks in his basement, uh, eight to ten hours a day editing, and he just came up with uh, a wonderful plan, and I'm so proud of the way that he stitched it all together. Yeah, he did a wonderful job. You, you know what uh, puzzles me is that, uh, what, is it a lake or a pond near your, near your home? It used to be small, but you guys made it big like that. How did you do that? Well, we we put that structure in in the early 90s, uh -huh. uh, about the era that I was working for Eric Clapton. And uh, when the gentleman came out that uh, had the expertise to flag off what the pond would be, uh, his initial flagging, he showed it to me, and, and I said, hey, man, can you make it any bigger? So he went back and, and uh, you know, dug a little deeper, and then I said, can you make it any bigger than that? So finally, he, uh, he came up with the final plan that we used to uh, to put it together, and uh, we love that pond. We've spent a lot of our wonderful hours uh, sitting there just taking in the breeze and, and enjoying the sights and the sounds of and seeing some wildlife come in every now and then. It's, it's been a great addition to our place. Oh, it's beautiful, man. He, he, he did such a great job. We, I'm in the west coast of Florida, and we got a lot of those man-made type little ponds and lakes over here, but I've never seen one like yours. Yours is <laughs> outstanding. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, as I said, we do enjoy it. Uh, it's also great when the kids come down and the grandkids, they can splash around in it. Sure. And, uh, great for swimming. And uh, we... We have a structure, I guess you can see it on the film, I can't quite recall, but uh, a long time ago, a good friend of mine gave me a cute little wooden boat to use on the pond, mm -hmm. and I said, well, I, I better build a dock if I'm going to you know, have a, a boat, so we built a dock with a couple of slips in it, and then I said, you know, if, if the rains come, that boat's going to get wet, maybe I better put a roof on it, and right. if I'm going to have a roof... Uh, maybe I should just go ahead and enclose, enclose the upper section of it. So, you know, we wound up with, with, uh, what looks like a condo. And my buddy who saw it for the first time said, man, you built a condo. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and that's, that's what we called it, our pondo. Our pondo, huh? <laughs> <laughs> did, did you stock it with any fish or did it have any fish in there? Uh, yes, we did. We stocked it with uh, bass and brim. Oh, man. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Bluegill and shellcracker uh, brim. So it's a nice balance of fish. And, uh, of course, we we get a batch uh, <clears throat> excuse me, from time to time to fry up and enjoy. So uh, it gives us all kinds of possibilities there. And you said you had, you had black bear in that area? We do, yes. Uh, uh, Georgia has bear in three sections uh, way up north in the mountains, mm -hmm. and then in the Okefenokee Swamp, uh, there's a population of bear, and then the smallest population is where we are, which is along the Okmulgee River, and uh, there have been some studies done about the population, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting but to have such a wide range of wildlife on our place, white-tailed deer, of course. Uh, and and the the black bear and then of course all manner of raccoons and possums and fox squirrels and cat squirrels and uh, uh, armadillos unfortunately yeah. and wild hogs unfortunately oh yeah and and, uh, and of course uh, 
native birds like uh, quail and wild turkey and and other species are with us. So, you know, when I take a walk in the woods, man, there's all kind of things to watch for. I, I love it. I used to live in Maryland, and I used to have a lot of, we, we had like two acres, all trees in the backyard. And uh, we had a lot of wildlife, and that, that's I love that living. It's it's wonderful. Absolutely, and as you can imagine, um, it provides such a great balance for me. You know, mm-hmm. you go out on tour. Of course, we haven't been able to tour because of COVID and over right. a year now. But uh, when I have been on these tours, sometimes uh, rather uh, lengthy tours, and you're in an electric atmosphere, of course, in these big cities, and there's uh, the energy of, of that big cities produce, and of course the actual concerts themselves, and big crowds. And when I get home, man, it's Charlene, and I get to walk in the woods and hear the sound of the wind in the pines and the crunch of leaves underfoot. Uh, it kind of helps keep your head screwed on the right way. It does. It really does. <laughs> Nothing like nature, man. Nothing like nature. That the movie, you know, I was surprised. You know, it was very nice for you to have. Uh, you had Charlie Daniels, which he passed away, and you got to have him in your movie before that, which was, I was, it was a nice, very nice surprise. And I, and to have President Carter in there too was pretty cool. <laughs> yes, uh, the president and and I and you know others that are in the music world uh, here in the South in, in the Macon, Georgia area, right. uh, are very close to Carter. Um, you know, we we did benefits for Carter uh, to help raise money for his presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. And even before that, when he was governor, uh, he came down to the studio in Macon, uh, Capricorn Studios. Yep. Uh, he asked really great questions. He was genuinely and sincerely interested in learning about the music business and, and uh, the recording process and other things. And that really surprised all mm-hmm. of us of his, of his sincerity, you know. So uh, when he started to announce his running for presidency, we jumped right in and we said, you know, we'd like to support this. And this was the first time, if I'm correct, where uh, the federal government would match funds raised uh, by private uh, funding. So, right. you know, we were able to kind of double up the funding, the, the money that we could raise, and then the, fu- the federal funds would match that. And I think it really helped this campaign, and we've remained friends ever since. You know, we need more rock and roll presidents, you know that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned that, because uh, some of your listeners may not know that there is a wonderful documentary uh, out on President Carter called Jimmy Carter, the Rock and Roll President. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I've seen that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, re- I remember when the Allman Brothers, and probably you were there too, visited the White House, and uh, he did he, he he did what is it, salt peanuts or something? I I, I remember yes, that. Yes, that was right. That was the uh, the first White House House Jazz Festival <laughs> out on the lawn of the White House, and you had Herbie Hancock, right? Uh, Chick Corea and uh, Cecil Taylor, and just all these luminaries of. Uh, uh, of jazz there, and and they got Carter up on stage to <laughs> make him sing Salt Peanuts, <laughs> which is a pretty funny part of the film. <laughs> that was that was pretty cool. It, you know, all we need all we need is more rock and roll presidents, and and the world will be great. <laughs> well, you know, it was an interesting time because uh, if you uh, recall, you had. Jerry Brown from California, also True. running for the nomination yep. in the Democratic Party. And, of course, he had Linda Ronstadt and the Eagles uh, on his side. And so we kind of had a war of the bands to rough the president there. <laughs> yeah, Jackson Brown was another one that was on his side as well. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, with our crew, we had the, the Allman Brothers Band and Marshall Tucker oh, yeah. Band. And uh, we had uh, Wes Willie and Charlie Daniels. And <laughs> yeah. yeah no, uh, no, Carter, our guy won. Carter, Carter won hands down, man. That better music. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> um, what was it? Oh, the ending of the film uh, was really cool with Keith Richards. <laughs> Keith being Keith, right? <laughs> oh, he's very Keith. And, uh, 
you know, he, he made a really lovely statement on my behalf. Uh-huh. I'll always be grateful for, and uh, it's a nice way to to wind up all the interviews for the film, and then uh, to follow that with uh, the, the song Georgia on my mind. Right. And uh, that, by the way, that was a live version that I did with the Frankfurt Radio Big Band some oh, wow. years ago. Right. Uh, in a concert in Frankfurt, Germany. And uh, and that was Alan's idea as well to do it that way, uh, and to also his idea to have the piano brought outside into the <clears throat> into the woods uh, to get uh, some shots of it like that. And mm-hmm. I think that it adds a little spice to the to the film. Well, Dickie Betts lives about twenty minutes from me. I'm, I'm in Sarasota. And oh yeah, yeah. He was born. He was born and raised here, I guess. Uh, I get. I, well, what I heard is he, uh, Dickie retired. I don't think he's uh, doing music anymore. Well, that's true. Uh, bless his heart. I guess it's been maybe close to two years ago now. Yeah. He had a, a, a severe fall when right. he was playing with his dog out on the dock uh, behind his house and bumped his head really hard. Had a subdural hematoma. Mm. And uh, that caused some <clears throat> some issues for him, I know. And of course, uh, at the age that he is now, uh, that didn't really help matters. So, you know, he's made his mark, man. Oh, yeah. He's contributed so much yep. to music in general. Great songwriting, songs like uh, "In Memory of Elizabeth Reed" and "High Falls" and "La Brere's, and of course, uh, "Blue Sky" and mm-hmm. "Rampant Man" and "Jessica." Yep. Uh, so he's left a wonderful legacy. And by the way. I've become very good friends with his son, Dwayne. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you know, Dwayne and uh, Dwayne Betts and Devin Allman have yep. the Allman Betts Band now. Great band. Yep. Another member of the, the Allman Betts Band is uh, Barry Oakley Jr. Mm-hmm. So those guys are doing real well. And, and they I think, done two records uh, at present, and they're really gaining a, a great following. I, I covered a lot of uh, Dickie did a lot of benefits here in Sarasota and to raise money for kids and things like yeah. that. And I and I covered um, I covered the shows and I met Dwayne, a really nice guy. And if you close your eyes, he sounds just like Dickie. Man, he's a great guitar player. Well, he is a great guitar player, and and he's developing his own style as well. Of course, it's only natural that he would pick up a lot of uh, the style that his dad is mm-hmm. known for. Right. But he's really coming into his own these days. And aside from that, he looks like his dad. You know, uh, when I first saw him, uh, it was like, wow, that's a young uh, Dickie Betts right there. Yeah. It's quite ironic. Dickie was so cool when, when he came in to do the show. Uh, he, you know, he walked by himself. He was far away. And I guess he parked his car. And he just walked in. It's his neighborhood where yeah. it was, you know, done. And he had a cowboy hat. Yeah, I mean, he looked right something right out of a western, you know, he, he, like a gunslinger. <laughs> well, Dickie is uh, quite a great outdoorsman. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he really is an, an incredible archer. Uh, you know, really? I've seen Dickie hit moving targets. Uh, I didn't know that. A bow and arrow, and that's a great skill that is not easy to do. Huh. Uh, I think he's kind of semi-retired from some of that as well, but uh, multi-talented guy. Yes, he is. I, I love your work on Jessica, by the way. I mean, that's that's incredible. Well, I appreciate that. It was a wonderful vehicle for a 20-year-old piano player at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had just come into the band. Uh, you know, the way all that happened was uh, in 72, of course, this is after the death of uh, Dwayne Allman with right. the motorcycle accident. Uh, the band went out as a five-piece band with no replacement. Uh, you just don't replace Dwayne Allman anyway uh, with another guitar player. Yeah. And, you know, that put so much pressure on Dickie. I mean, he, he had never really played slide before, and he had to cover all those slide parts <clears throat> that Dwayne was known for. And they came in from that little short tour mentally exhausted, they had lost Dwayne, they were physically exhausted from so many years of touring at the time, and they wanted to take a little break, and Greg had written some songs that he didn't quite think fit the Almer Brothers, and so he wanted to do a solo record, and I was called in uh, to work on that record, 
pastor mm-hmm. said, uh, I want to meet you, meet you in my office. And I thought, oh, God, what have I done wrong? You know? <laughs> uh, but I walk in, and there's all the guys in the band, and, uh, you know, a few pleasantries went down, and then the shoe dropped. And so I said, you know, the guys feel like uh, you're taking things in a really interesting direction, uh, and they want to know if you'd like to join the Allman Brothers Band. <laughs> It did not take me very long to say yes. <laughs> and of course, brothers and sisters, the rest is history. <laughs> yes, we, we finished Greg's uh, solo record, uh, which was called Late Back, and, and mm-hmm. pretty much the same time we started recording Brothers and Sisters. And I think Brothers and Sisters may have come out first in 1973, and then Greg's solo record right behind it. We did do a couple of solo tours with Greg, uh, and that was interesting, the first one especially, because we had a 13-piece orchestra uh, with us, and uh, along with, you know, five horn players and three background singers, it was a really big band, yeah. and it came off really, really well. It was a lot of fun. You know, there'll never be another Almond Brothers, you know? I mean, the the band, uh, it's, it's hard to describe, you know, I mean, they were very eclectic, you know, they call them a southern band, but there's there's so many different elements in their music, you know, a little jazz, a little this, a little that, but they're, there's such a serious type, it's a serious feeling, when you listen to an Allman Brothers band, you know, like Midnight Rider or something, it, it's it's deep, you know, it, and there's no other band that can can be like that. It's just like real life. It's you, you feel you feel them. You know what I mean? It's hard to describe the, the feeling, but it, it's serious. You know, it's a serious rock band. Well, you bring up a great point about the um, the elements that made the Allman Brothers mm-hmm. band, and that is, uh, of course, Dickie studied country music right. uh, pretty closely, but also musicians like Django Reinhardt, exactly. a great uh, gypsy guitarist from the. 20s and 30s uh, era, uh, and and then bringing in Greg's incredible vocals, uh, best white blues singer ever, uh, Dwayne's magnificent uh, work as a guitarist, and especially on slide guitar, and then the two drummers, you know, that was unique at the time. Yep. Uh, there was a couple of other bands that did that, but not many, and uh, it, it blended all that stuff together, elements of jazz that you mentioned, but also rhythm and blues and soul. So it, it was a melting pot of styles exactly. that made up the, the brothers. And then, of course, uh, the songwriting of Greg and of Dickie uh, that contributed to, uh, to make it more contemporary. Yeah, I, re- I miss Greg a lot. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same not having him around. It really isn't. You know, you mentioned earlier Charlie Daniels. I was so grateful to get Charlie on the film. And that was done uh, at a tribute to Charlie that I was happy to be um, involved in. I was in the basic band that backed up everybody, all the special guests. And I was very fortunate for that. But there's two especially people that I wish I could have gotten that we could not. uh, And that was Greg, Mm -hmm. one, Mm -hmm. uh, because he just got too ill towards the end to, to do anything like that. And the other one was Mac Webinac, Dr. John. Dr. John, yeah. Uh, I had the privilege of working with Mac, and well, it was prior to the Almonds, so it would have been in 1971. And I learned so much from Mac, and we became close friends and stayed in touch through all the years, and he also just got too ill to be able to be on camera, so I I wish I could have gotten those two guys, but uh, uh, they know I love them. I had a great interview with Mac uh, the only problem was it was very hard to understand him, and I had to go over the interview several times <laughs> because of that Cajun accent, you know? <laughs> yes, he does. That's a very, very strong Cajun Louisiana accent and uh, and phraseology as well. You know, exactly. Instead of saying two or three times, he'll say three or two times. <laughs> But he was so cool, you know, and, and my, my mom was Cuban, and he loved that Cuban music, and, uh, you know, we, we hit it off real well. He, he's a, he was a really good guy, really good guy. Well, you can find a lot of things on YouTube these days, as we all know. Yeah. There is a uh, YouTube with Mac playing a version of, of When the Saints Go Marching In, uh-huh. and uh, anybody that cares to do so, you should really look that up. Okay. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. 
phenomenal. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Uh, a couple of local heroes that you, I'm sure you knew. Dan Toller. He he was also he was at that uh, benefit. He played, and also Larry Reinhardt. That's another local hero. Rhino. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know, I got to know Dan pretty well. I never knew Larry that well, but uh, of course, you know, Dan and his brother Frankie were in the Allman Brothers, a iteration of the Allman Brothers band for uh, two or three years, and he was also a monster player, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And a, a sad loss that he's not with us anymore. Yeah, Toller's band is still around. Also, I mean, some of the guys from that band, and uh, you know, they 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 play around here every once in a while. Uh, we got Mick Jagger bought a home for his girlfriend. Uh, did, did you know that uh, his girlfriend's a ballet dancer? Yes, yes, I, and I did read that. Did you and, read that? Uh, it's nice, nice to know we're neighbors now. <laughs> And he's got, they, they, he actually bought a house, uh, like five minutes from here in Lakewood Ranch. Right. And, uh, I also had Bernard Fowler on my show not long ago either. He's, he was a good guy. Oh, Bernard's fantastic. Uh, just an incredible singer, uh, fun guy to be with. Mm-hmm. And we've been there almost, well, I was there before Bernard, uh, by about seven years, I think, but, uh, he came in for the Steel Wheels tour in 89, and of course he's been there ever since, and we have a wonderful close relationship. We've done some shows outside of the Stones uh, together, uh, which has always been an honor. Uh, it's just a real gentleman and a, and a fabulous singer. Yeah, he sure is. <clears throat> and by the way, a hell of a percussionist. You know, he played percussion in uh, Herbie Hancock's, one of Herbie Hancock's bands. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Huh. Yep. How about that? I, I always heard Marvin Gaye was a good percussionist, too. A lot of people told me that. Well, I imagine he was. He was yeah. a genius at many other things, that's for sure. Yeah. I want to talk about tree farming a little bit. Uh, yeah. Is it true? I read that um, around 49% of forests in the, in the U.S. Were, were owned by families. Is that true? Yes, you know, and that's one of the unique things about America. You know, when you look at a country like Canada, a wonderful country, of course, but most of the forest land there is owned by the Crown, meaning mm-hmm. the government. Right. And that's a whole different scenario. You know, the way I like to put it is when people, the individuals, uh, own their own backyards, they're going to take good care of it. You sure. know, they're going to keep it clean. They're going to tidy it up. They Makes sense. Look after it. And, and I, you know, I think that's what's great about that bulk of uh, farmland, excuse me, uh, forest land that's owned by individuals throughout our country. And, you know, I'd like to say to people, just stop and think a minute about all these things that trees and forests uh, do for us. I mean, materials to build our homes and schools and churches and offices, materials to make books and magazines and newspapers and and packaging products, uh, all of those things that come through to you from Amazon and those cardboard boxes, you know, those are elements of trees. Uh, There's medicines that come from certain trees around the world. Uh, They provide home and shelter to all manner of wildlife. They clean our air. They clean our water. And I just think there's no more important natural resource uh, than we have uh, than uh, trees and forests. And one personal connection, when I first got into this, was thinking, well, where does that marvelous instrument that has given me so much joy and such a wonderful career come from? And, mm-hmm. of course, it comes from the resource of wood. Uh, and just about every other musical instrument has some element of wood uh, in them. But very few do not. I mean, even a saxophone has to have a reed uh, to work. So, you know, when you, when you think deep about this, and, and here's the, the trick. We want to have forests that we use for production to create those things I just mentioned. But you also want to have forests for aesthetics, just that walk in the woods that we talked about earlier, Um, forests for enjoyment, natural parks, uh, national forests, and and wildlife refuges and the such are very important. And I think we're blessed in America to have a lot of that so that people, the general public, can go to these places and enjoy for instance, Mirror Woods out in San Francisco, one of the most magnificent places you can ever walk with. Uh, 
passion uh, for trees and forests, as you know, and, and I think you mentioned uh, some of the books that I've written. The mm-hmm. first book was called Forever Green, yep. The History History and Hope of the American Forest, and uh, then a children's book called The Tree Farmer, and then I have a book uh, that addresses smart growth so that we can keep forests as forests and, uh, you know, depend on cities uh, to be cities, and that book is called Growing a Better America, Smart, Strong, and Sustainable. Oh. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the, uh, the, uh, the one for the kids for all my grandkids. I think that'll be, that'll be great. They'll love that. Well, there's, it's so important to get young children that age, you know, in the, in the three, four, five, six year old category in tune with what nature is all about, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, that will stick with them. Sure. And if they have some kind of understanding, at that age, then they're very likely to carry that understanding forward in their adult lives. BBS Radio uh, was originally located in Paradise. And, you know, Paradise, the whole city burnt down, including the radio station. So they, they moved to Lafayette. Uh, last year, my niece, she lives in Colorado. Uh, her house, she had to evacuate, and her house was almost burnt down. Why, why don't they take the initiative to prescribe, to do the prescribed burn, now that they know there's so many fires coming. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we have a new administration now, thank God, and uh, the previous administration really didn't have much of a handle on environmental concerns, and they ignored the truth of climate change. Um, There were some comments made, I must say, by some members of the previous administration concerning management of forests, and and I do applaud that. Uh, Look, forests are like gardens, you know. You you don't plant a garden and then just uh, let it grow with weeds and, and, you know, don't tend it. You you need to tend your garden, and you need to tend forest land. Uh, You mentioned prescribed burning. That's certainly a part of what could be uh, done to help prevent those catastrophic wildfires. But there's other things. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure if you're aware of my little fledgling television program. It's called America's Forests. Okay. Uh, and it's uh, it runs on PBS. We have completed seven episodes so far. One of the episodes was in California, and uh-huh. we went to Paradise and saw the devastation there. It was jaw-dropping. Yeah. I mean... There were still, and this is what, almost a year after the fire, and, right. and there were still burnout vehicles on the sides of the road. They cleaned a good bit of it up, but it was still yeah. just so graphic to see what had occurred in that town. And we met with a, a fine young man, Charles, I can't remember Charles's last name at the moment, but uh, he had barely gotten out with his family, mm-hmm. lost everything, his home and all the contents of the home, vehicles, everything. And uh, he was running a campaign to rebuild Paradise, mm-hmm. which I thought was absolutely amazing. Right. That, you know, after you have a catastrophic loss like that, to hit up an effort to bring people back to that city and try to rebuild. And uh, so I admired uh, his tenacity about that. So what what can be done? I mean, what needs to be done to, to get these fires under control? Because... It, it, it looks like a losing cause to me. You know, every time there's a big fire like that, it just wipes out so many acres, you know? Well, there's a number of things that can be done and, and that are being done, by the way. Uh, Governor Newsom, along with the uh, people that run the Cal Fire organization, that uh, are the people that, 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 you know, are called upon when these fires do break out. Uh, one of the things they were doing was finding at-risk forests uh, along highways right. where they could clear out on either side of the highway, say, three, 400 feet uh, using uh, mechanical equipment, using what we call these mulchers where you, you can grind up the uh, undergrowth and, and to, to where it just becomes chips. And of course, they leave the uh, the, the mature trees so that the beauty is still there, but basically what they're doing is getting rid of the underbrush that is so susceptible to a fire being started along these highways. If someone throws a cigarette out or, or you know, a spark from a car or, or something like that could occur, then that gives Cal Fire, if a fire does 
more time to address it and to keep it from uh, becoming a you know ten thousand acre fire. Yeah, uh, and, and that's a good thing, and I, I think you're going to be seeing more and more of that. Another thing that needs to be done is addressing these communities that live in those high risk right. uh, areas. Exactly. They, they need to go ahead and get a plan exactly. to put a, a fire break around those communities. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I don't think it's like. to do it. it it's very organized you know and it, it it doesn't get out of control or anything it's very very systematically you know it's i i think it's a good thing well and, and you have to understand all the, the elements involved so first of all how much moisture is in the ground right what is the what type of litter is on the ground how much litter is on the ground what's the uh relative humidity at the time you want to burn um you know, weather can change on a dime, mm -hmm. and you have to be very, very careful and sensitive and, you know, be in touch with all of these things that can occur. And then you have to be prepared if a fire does jump a fire break. Right. You have equipment right there on site that can deal with that, whether you're talking about uh, vehicles that carry water and tanks or whether you're talking about a plow that can uh, cut the fire off, that kind of thing. Yeah, I feel sorry for the firemen, man. They... You know, they work so hard, and sometimes it, it's like a losing battle. You know, they try to save the homes, but sometimes they just can't do it, you know? Yeah. But one more thing I will mention, and, and, and I touched on it a little bit, but uh -huh. that is to address climate change. You right. know, if we can, I'm so glad to see us rejoin the Paris Accords. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is a global issue, and it needs to be dealt with globally. globally and without the United States participating, um, it just wasn't going to, to to go anywhere. So now we're back in it. Um, I think you and, and you know you see a lot more electric vehicles these days. You see more wind and yeah. solar these days. Uh, alternative energy uh, to help uh, you know clean things up and, and help us uh, battle climate change. Isn't it interesting? And I'm sure a lot of your listeners have seen or heard on the news. Where when COVID hit uh -huh. and caused everything to slow down to such an extent, the reduction that happened in terms of pollution, uh, air quality, the improved air quality, and so forth. Uh, well, that so, makes sense. You know, yeah. We don't want to be shut down all of our lives. Right. But we need to pay attention to what we can do to uh, to to do better. Yeah, and we see what pollution can do to cities like Mexico City and and China. I mean, it's uh, they can get that bad here. You know, I'm sure uh, I'm sure LA's pretty good. Yeah. Ab absolutely, Ray. Like, yeah. uh, you know, we've been to Sao Paulo a couple of times. Right. Stones, and that's another example of yeah. a heavily, heavily uh, polluted city. Oh, it's horrible. It really is. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, how many horses do you guys have? Is it just the two, or do you have more? We have four horses now, and, uh, you know, you can only ride one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rosie doesn't ride quite as much anymore as, as she used to, but she still rides some. And, uh, and of course, I love to ride. But uh, we're actually, in addition to what we do at Charlene, uh in our woodlands, we are going to add a component of horseback trail riding. Oh, wondering. Beautiful. And, uh, and that's going to be pretty cool. You know, people can either bring their own horse or they can use one of ours. And we got yeah. miles and miles and miles of trails we can ride. Yeah, I love to ride horses, man. Me and my wife both. My wife's from Kentucky, so she's really into horses. <laughs> she, she comes by it honestly if she's from Kentucky. Oh, yeah. 
for some reason, she always gets the horse that does crazy things, you know, like stands up on his back, uh, hooves and it tries to throw you off and, you know, falls down in the water, you know, dips in the water. And I don't know, she always gets a crazy horse for some reason. <laughs> well, that, that reminds me of uh, my friend who told me he went to a cattle drive and uh, they arrived and they started looking at the horses and picking out the ones that. You know, one fellow said, uh, well, this looks good. Uh, what's his name? Well, that's old Jim. Uh, uh. <laughs> this is a mayor over here. But what's her name? Well, that's old Bessie. Uh, which one is mine? That one's named Twister. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rose Lane's horse is gorgeous, man. Yes, I think she was on uh, 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 Roxy is her name. What a beautiful horse. Yeah. uh, Triple registered horse, uh, Tennessee Walking Horse Association, uh, the Painted Horse uh, Association, and the Racking Horse Association. A beautiful horse. She's got some age on her now. Uh Uh, We've enjoyed, enjoyed her for many, many years. You can still ride her, but she's close to 30. Now, oh, so, wow. Uh, yeah, we don't ride her quite as much. Uh, uh, she's probably going to be with us another five to seven years. Though. Right. Yeah. My uh, uh, my son-in-law's uh, mom just had to put her horse down. It was very, very sad. When they bought her, they weren't, you know, sometimes they're not, you're not sure how old the horse really is, you know. And when they bought her, I think she was already like 24, 25 years old. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, she loved that horse. Well, that's the, the tough thing about any animal, and, you know, we've had to deal with, yeah. uh, we, we have a, a big stable of dogs as well, the kennel full, I should oh, say, wonderful. of dogs. Uh, we, we do quail hunting on our place, uh, the traditional southern quail hunts, and, uh, you know, you lose one of those precious things, it mm-hmm. just breaks your heart. Uh, cats that we've had to put down when they get old and yeah, feeble, and, and the same with horses. It's always a yeah. very difficult and heartbreaking thing to go through, but you hang on to the wonderful memories that you have the joy that they've given you. Chuck, sounds like you live in paradise. Can I can I give you a lot of money and spend a week there? <laughs> <laughs> Come on down, brother. Come on down. All right, man. I'll bring my wife and, and the grandkids. I'll have a ball. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we do, you know, I mentioned the horseback uh, trail riding that's, that'll be coming oh, soon. Goodness. We sometimes offer retreats uh, for groups. Oh, great. And my wife is an artist. Rose Lane is a visual artist. Right. We the oil medium. And uh, sometimes we'll put together an instructor that'll come in and we'll have a group of maybe 10 or 12. And we have uh, several facilities that we can, we have an art studio that mm-hmm. is a generous size where people can paint uh, if you want to be indoors. And then, of course, we have a, a lot of uh, outdoor possibilities uh, in the forest and the gardens and the animals and all that. You don't teach piano, too, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, now that you mention it, we, we, we do have a website for that, and that I'm partners with a guy, uh, Howard Citron, who is just a wonderful man and a great with uh, uh, technicalities, uh-huh. and we put together a website awesome. that's called uh, I Rock You, and that's the letter I, okay. the word rock, and the letter U. And uh, this is piano instruction over the internet. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I, it basically, I don't do so much of it directly myself, but I organize the songs. We all we license the songs. It's mostly all rock and roll songs, maybe a little blues and jazz thrown in. And, uh, and some New Orleans styles. But we have these really talented young folks, uh, mostly from the New York area. Right. Some that have gone to the New School, which is a great school for music, uh, and other, uh, music schools. And so we put the lessons in the hands of these guys, and they have seven different levels for each song. So if you're just a beginner, you do the very, very simple version, and then, uh, as you get better, you go to step two, three, four, five, six, seven. And uh, it's, it's done well for us. And we've had a lot of really positive comments. All the people that subscribe have given us uh, accolades, and we're grateful for that. And, and we enjoy the 
Ideal teaching program. Oh yeah, I, I, there's a lot of artists, uh, great legendary artists now that are, are doing that. You know, like um, Billy Cobham is is got kind of a camp that he does. You know, for drums, uh, a lot of people. There's a lot of people. Doing yeah, they are, and, and bless his heart and, and rest his soul, uh, Chick Corea. Oh man, away, yeah, uh, camping a, a, yeah. a online instruction uh, yeah. subscription thing, and of course, what a master. He was. Yes, he was. Uh, and I've seen, you know, there's, I forget the fellow's name, but there's the piano guy uh, who has a website. And, mm -hmm. you know, so we, there's a lot of competition out there, but we have the best one, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it, man. You're you're an awesome player. Two, two of the uh, events that you've done, I'm very impressed by. First of all, George Harrison tour in Japan. I saw George back in 74 when he had Robin Shankar. And uh, it was a good tour, but, you know, his voice was all messed up, you know, so he couldn't sing too good back back then. But, uh, yeah, I, I heard you try to get him to come to the U.S. after that tour. We tried so hard. Uh, it was an incredible band. Of course, it was Eric Clapton's band. Oh, my so, goodness. Uh, you had Andy Fairweather low on guitar. You yeah. had uh, Ray Cooper on percussion and Steve Ferroni on drums. Nathan East on bass, uh, Greg Fillingaines and myself on keys, uh, Tessa Niles and Katie Kassoon singing. And, you know, what happened, and there's some tragedy involved, and yeah. that was that um, we had done the 24 nights uh, at the Albert Hall uh, program, uh, which, of course, also became a record. And uh, Eric was going to take a year off and be with his son, Connor. Well, we all know what happened. Connor had that horrible accident where he fell out of the, the high-rise yeah, in New York and, and yeah. died. And so uh, rather than take that year off, uh, Eric figured, hey, I need to work. And he and George had a very unique relationship, as most people know. Oh, yeah. And so he kind of threw the gauntlet down to George and said, you know, man, you never tour. You, you sit at home, mm -hmm. you do an album every four or five years. You know, come on, get out in the trenches with the rest of us. And, and George was like, but I don't have a band. I don't have a band. And, and uh, Eric says, well, I got a band, and you can have it, and you can have me. How about wow. that shit? So, <laughs> tour, though. Clapton and Harrison? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it was absolutely fabulous. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we, the rest of the folks in the band, we kind of felt like Eric was going to move on and maybe change up the band and right. do different things. And so we went to George and said, George, you know, even if if, we, if Eric doesn't come along, you could take this to the States and it would be so great. Yep. And, you know, I think he, you mentioned that 74 tour. Yeah. And I think he did have that difficulty with his voice. Right. He lost his voice, and that was one issue. But the other issue, I remember reading that a couple of times after the concerts, he looked out into the audience and saw all the trash and the beer bottles and the, huh. the junk that goes along, and he said, wow, man, am I creating, you know, this? Right. Um, do I need to be creating this? He was very sensitive to those kinds sure. of issues. and and so he, I think that was part of his decision not to come back to the States. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it was a fabulous tour, and I wish he had. Yeah. Yeah, I miss George. Really miss him. He was one of my favorite Beatles. Him and, actually, well, he, him and John. He, as a person, I mean, God, a Beatle. I mean, I never figured I'd get to play with a Beatle. But, yeah. Uh, but aside from that, just as a human being, I mean, the guy was so gracious. Yep. He was so down to earth. Mm -hmm. Lovely little chuckle when he would laugh at something uh, that I'll never forget. He was generous uh, to all of us in every way. You know, he would ring us up after a concert uh, in, in every individual's uh, hotel room and say, "Got a bit of food here. Would you like to come down?" You yeah, know? you have a pretty so, good accent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was just so lovely, yeah. and his wife Olivia and his son Danny. Yeah. Uh, of course, Danny's carrying on and. and plays guitar and has done a few records and Olivia's uh, fortunately still with us and just a lovely person yeah. as well. You know, the, the Allman Brothers have their kids, you know, you know, creating the band and everything. I don't see why the Beatles kids can't get together, you know? They're all there. They're all musicians. Why not? <laughs> yeah, why not indeed? I, I had the pleasure of working a little bit with Julian yep. Lennon uh, not long ago on a benefit concert 
there mm-hmm. that worked out great. And uh, that was in Atlanta, uh, as I say, at a charity function. And, um, you know, you've got Danny, don't you? And then uh, Sean. You got Sean, uh, right? But so, you know, I mean, there's siblings out there. That's you got Ringo. Good. You got Zach Starsky also. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I interviewed uh, Julian. He, he's such a nice guy. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, just to listen to him, he sounds just like John, you know? It's, 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 it's <laughs> Absolutely. He does, yeah. And looks very much like him. He does. But his music is, is so good, man. When he first came out, you know, with Velot and, and all the the first album, he, he was incredible. And I told him that. And uh, I interviewed him during the last album he did. He had um, Steven Tyler on the album. That was also a good album. The last album he put out. Yeah. Very talented guy. What? Yes, indeed. What, another another instance. You my, my one of my favorite bands has always been Pink Floyd, and da- David Gilmore gave you such a comp- compliment, saying you were the best guy to sing that comfortably numb. Out of all the guys he had, and I, I agree. I've heard them all, and I agree. You, you nailed it, man. <laughs> well, you're too kind. I appreciate that. You know, uh, he really surprised me uh, on that. We had gone through the rehearsals and covered all the material, and comfortably, none was the last one to come up. Right. And and he turned up to me uh, and said, "Hey, man, you want to sing on this?" And I thought he just meant, you know, <laughs> sing on the choruses, some harmony or something, and I said, yeah, sure, I'll go in, and he said, well, I want you to do the counterpart, and I went, whoa, really? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> and, and uh, but with an invitation, man, it was incredible, and I love doing that part uh, night after night, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's in the documentary now. We're hoping it can stay in there. Yeah. Uh, we're having a little trouble with Roger Waters, to be frank with oh, you, but gosh. hopefully we'll get that cleared up. And uh, but uh, if right now it's, it is in the documentary. Yeah, uh, how how difficult was it to learn the material? I mean, you know, Richard Wright was another favorite of mine. Uh, he was so instrumental to the band. <laughs> well, he was brilliant, of course. Yeah. And uh, I, well, you know, here's the deal: I had my old friend and partner Greg Fillingames right. uh, on the stage as well uh, and you know we learned when we were working with Eric Clapton together uh, how we operate you know I mean Greg is brilliant with uh, the orchestrated parts of music and, and covering those kinds of things and you know I'm the more the organic guy on piano and, and Wurlitzer and organ and so you know we divided up the duties uh, diligently and when you ask about uh having to learn all that material uh, david sent me a live uh cd well, a couple of cds of shows that he had recently done in right. south america and so i studied those things you know hours on end and, mm. and you know went to my little uh, practice room and uh, turned it up loud so that I could play along with the music and listen to it very closely, put a, uh, a magnifying glass on it, so to speak. And uh, so when I got there, I felt pretty well prepared. Of course, there was adjustments to be made, but uh, it worked out really well. I, I think that's amazing how you can do that. You know, if Pink Floyd does tour again, as you know, with David and Nick, they, they should bring you in as the key, permanent keyboard player. <laughs> Yeah, and who knows? Uh, he may do some things going forward sure. in COVID era. I think it's affected him and all major artists Everyone. as well. So Everyone. I imagine David's probably been doing some writing. <laughs> His wife Holly yep. uh, is a great lyricist, and so they, they've probably put together some things. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, David. Uh, pulls a trick out of his hat at some point in the not-too-distant future. Oh, yeah, he likes to keep busy. <laughs> yeah. The other the other thing about that show, man, you got to play in Pompeii. How, how incredible was that? <laughs> it was absolutely stunning. Um, for those that may not know, uh, the, you know, the, the arena, we were not able to use because of the historic structure. Right. The, ble- the bleachers, you know, no no one could sit in the bleachers. Right. So all the audience was on the floor. And really, it's not that big. And so huh. it, it looked big on the production and on the DVD that 
we did two nights there, which gave uh, some great choices for uh, what versions of the songs to use and, and how to deal with the production aspect. And I think David just did a brilliant job of uh, editing that and of mixing it. And uh, I'm just very fortunate to be have been a part of it. How were the uh, the acoustics? Oh, amazing! I mean, yeah. uh, you know, the arena, uh, the the bleachers are not real steep, so right. they kind of roll uh, out, and that gives the sound a chance to to flow out and not be bouncing back in your face. And uh, uh, so, it's beautiful acoustics, and of course, we had an incredible crew that uh, uh, mixed everything very carefully and. Uh, it was just an extraordinary experience. Did, did you get a chance to walk around and see Pompeii? I did, yeah. yeah. I walked, uh, you know, we, we had uh, obviously a day of rehearsal as well, so mm-hmm. uh, had, a, had plenty of time to explore the ruins and to read more about it online and, and, and books. Uh, and just to think back of, you know, what happened right. there uh, with what used to be a civilization being wiped out incredible. Uh, in short order. Yeah. Uh, quite incredible. Yeah. I, I got one more question for you, a final question, but I just wanted to go back to the tree thing real quick. You mentioned that France actually documents their trees. Is that right? Paris. Uh, Paris. Oh, does. Paris. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it, people call Paris the city of lights. But right. It's also the city of trees. And all the trees throughout the city are, are indeed documented oh, wow. very, very well looked after. So that's pretty incredible. That is incredible. I, I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck. Well, Ray, it's been huh? such a joy, my friend. Me too, really man. Incredible. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, I enjoyed it, uh, Chuck. Uh, you know, next time you get in, you're inviting some people over to your place. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me I know. Got I got your number, baby. All right, man. It sounds great. You you live in paradise, my friend. <laughs> well, well, thanks again. Uh, it's been a great conversation, and let's do it again sometime. We sure will. Thank you so much, Chuck. The, the best to your wife and the family, okay? Okay, and to yours. All right, man. Take care. Take care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Chuck Level, the Tree Man documentary. Chuck Level, the Tree Man is the cinematic documentary that explores the world's uh, fascination with the greatest piano and keyboardist over the last 40 years. Follow Chuck's story as he divides his talent between music's music force and family. It stars Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Charlie Watts, and Ronnie Woods, directed by Alan Farce. The documentary is full of star power. It includes interviews with Billy Bob Thornton, Mick Jagger, President Jimmy Carter, Eric Clapton, Keith Richards, Bonnie Raitt, Dickie Betts, Paul Schaefer, Chris Robinson, Charlie Daniels, Miranda Lampert, Charlie Watts, Bruce Hornsby, Julian Lennon, Mike Mills, John Bell, Pat Monahan, Ronnie Wood, Warren Haynes, John Mayer, and David Gilmore, plus many, many more. It's available to purchase right now. You can buy it on Blu-ray at Amazon.com with the capability of reaching more than 100 million homes in North America and nearly 1 billion homes worldwide. Gravitas Ventures is making this must-see movie available on several VOD platforms, including iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, VUDU, and PlayStation. And I actually saw it on Netflix. For more information about Chuck Lavelle, visit www.chucklavelle.com, his official website. Also, www.chucklavelletreeman.com and also at www.facebook.com backslash Chuck Lavelle for Facebook, Twitter, twitter.com backslash Chuck Lavelle. He's also on Instagram, www.twitter.com Chuck Lavelle, Instagram.com backslash Chuck Lavelle. Uh, wait a minute, let me get that right. It's twitter.com, Chuck Lavelle, Instagram.com, backslash Chuck Lavelle. Okay? And also American Forest with Chuck Lavelle. Very special thanks to Mark Pucci Media for arranging this interview with Chuck Lavelle and the dynamic duo of Doug and Don Newsom of BBS Radio for making this the magic happen for each and every broadcast of Interviewing the Legends. If you have comments or suggestions for the show, you can also contact me at interviewingthelegends at gmail.com. And please, please, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Interviewing the Legends with Ray Shasho, for the very latest interviews. 
And guess what? It's real news. And of course, my new book is finally out, entitled The Rockstar Chronicles, Series 1. Chronicles, Truths, Confessions, and Wisdom from the Music Legends. That's, that is free. You can order yours today on hardcover or ebook at bookbaby.com and also amazon.com. It features over 45 intimate conversations with some of the greatest rock legends the world will ever know. A book review by Literary Titan gave it five stars. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Peace. Stay safe. Stay safe out there. That's the main thing. And good health. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Interviewing the Legends. Brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency. Call 941-877-1552 or visit us at publicityworksagency.com specializing in author and music artist publicity plans we shine when we make you shine tune in to interviewing the legends every tuesday at 7 p.m pacific time on bbs radio station one